Well, we've been in the book of Colossians over the last few weeks, and if you're new, we've been going through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in a place called Colossae. He had never been there, but he had heard good news from the pastor who was pastoring a guy named Epaphras, probably a guy that, that Paul had, had trained up and had teach the gospel, the, the, the explanation of, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications of, his, of Christ's life for our lives. And so Paul had probably trained Epaphras, and Epaphras had gone and, and established his church, and so he's heard about how this church has gone. And we, we find ourselves in chapter 2 of, of Colossians, verses 6 and 7. Now, if you were to go and read any commentaries, you would see that this kind of becomes the, the hinge point around which the, the, the letter begins to shift. And this, this is a, a, a thematic section which really summarizes everything that we've seen from chapter 1 all the way up to, to this point. And we're going to see that, that Paul is going to talk about both the, the indicatives, in other words, the, the truth of what Christ has done, and the imperatives, what we ought to do in response and he's going to talk about how this gospel message, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how that is a foundation and a rooting for us, that it establishes us as people, and that it, it causes us to live a certain way. So we're going to be reading out of, um, out of Colossians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, pull them out. We're not going to read just yet, but, but pull them out. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Um, and as we're doing this, as we're thinking about this, I want you to ask this question. Um, when, you, when your life is towards the end, you know, even, even if we were to be able to look in at your funeral or read your eulogy, you know, just to take it to a dark place. <laughs> but if we were to go and you were to think about the end of your life, what do you think people will say you were devoted to? Not, not just what do you want people to say you were devoted to, but if you were to take, take a, a review of your life as it stands, the things that you spend your time on, the things that you expend your energy on, your money, your interest, your focus, the things you're thinking about long term, if, if, if you were to ask the people around your life, at the end of your life, what do you think they would say that your life was devoted to you? Um, we, we all devote our lives to something. Right? You, no one's, we're, all, we're all on the hook. We're going to spend our lives doing something. God has given us some resources, and we're going to use those resources one way or another. We may use them well, we may use them poorly, but we're going to use them. For some of us, our devotion will be centered around our career, and people will say things like, they were, they were successful. They were passionate about their pursuit. They made a lot of money, and, and they did amazing things. Maybe they were philanthropists. They, maybe they gave a lot of money away. Maybe they worked really hard in order to provide for the needs of others, but they were focused on their career. For others, it will be our families, and they will say, you know, he was a family man. She was, she was a mother to, to all. You know, they, they, they loved their family. Um, for still others, there may be not one singular thing that they were focused on, but these people will say, well, I, I remember spending time with them on this thing, 
And, and I remember spending time with her on that thing. And, and they were interested in a lot of different things. I don't know that they were specifically focused on, on one, but they kind of spread their life out and, and, and floated around. But for the person who's taken the title of Christian, our greatest devotion can only be to Christ. I'll, I'll repeat that. For every person who's taken the title of Christian, your greatest devotion can only be to Christ. We were saved by Christ and now we live both in and for Christ. That doesn't mean that, that you can't be a family man or, or a family woman. It can't, doesn't mean that you can't be necessarily successful in your career. But the question that I'm asking is, when you, when you take a survey of your life, what is at the center? What is at the center? So we're going to read out of Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. If you're new, we have a tradition. We, we stand and read the Word of God together. So if you'll stand with me right now, we'll read these words together. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you that your call to obedience, to walking in a particular way, to living uh, in a certain way, doesn't come without first the foundation of what you've already done for us. And Jesus, I thank you personally that you brought me out of the grave and that you gave me new life. That like those who were baptized, Lord, I, I was able to identify with your death in order that I might walk in newness of life. And God, I pray that as we read this word, that we would, we would recognize that there is a life and a lifestyle that comes as a result of receiving the testimony of Jesus Christ. Of embracing what he has done. And Lord, I pray that as we embrace what he has done as Savior, that we would live out our, Lord, our lives with him as our Lord. And, and that we would make him the center of our life. And that all of our various devotions, God, that, that they would be pointers to our primary devotion. You. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Bring conviction of false devotions, of, of out-of-proportion devotions, and that you'd realign us so that we might, as Paul says, walk in Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So Paul talks really about three things. Walking, being established, and then abounding. Walking, being established, and then abounding. In verse 6, he talks about walking in Christ, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Then in the first part of verse 7, he talks about this idea of being established in, in uh, the faith. And then finally, he talks about abounding in thanksgiving. And as we think about this, I want us to think about what's active and what's passive. What we're doing and then what's being done to us. Okay? So look at verse 6 with me. He says in verse 6, Therefore, 
As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Therefore, now Paul, like, as I said, he is summarizing and he's beginning to shift his conversation. So this, therefore, isn't just referring to the previous verse. I believe it's, it's referring to all that has happened. You know, in, in chapter 1, verses 3 and following, he says, you know, we thank God for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints and, and, and because of the hope that's been laid up for you in heaven of which you heard about in the gospel, the word of truth that you received from Epaphras, just as it's gone out into the whole world and, and it's bearing fruit, it's, so, it's doing so among you. And he goes from thanking God, he goes on to say, and so we pray that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding such so that you might understand uh, the, the grace of God in your lives. And so he begins to pray that they might be able to, to know God and in knowing God might be able to live in a manner that pleases God. And here he says, you know what, given all of the things that I've said so far, therefore, since you have received him. Now that word received, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a technical term. If you were to take that word and, and, and look at everywhere Paul uses it, he always uses it in reference to this idea of receiving the gospel. It's not just like if I were to throw the ball and someone received it. Right, kind of a casual, I'm, I'm getting this thing. There, there's a sense in which they're receiving a testimony. They're receiving something that's official. You know, in the, in the early church, we didn't have necessarily everyone reading these Bibles. I'm so thankful for Bibles. Read your Bibles every day. Carry them around. They're small ones, big ones. They're on your phone. Don't use the ones on your phone. Use the ones on paper. It's better for you. Um, PSA over. Um, you can use the one on your phone. I have one on my phone. But... Uh, they didn't necessarily have them. They had what we called oral tradition. And so, for example, Paul received the oral tradition of the gospel of Jesus Christ from whom? From Jesus himself. And it, what we believe, we surmise that, that Epaphras, the guy who kind of established the church in Colossae, received his message from who? Paul. And it wasn't, they worked very hard to make sure that this wasn't a game of telephone. Have you ever played telephone with your kids? You know, you say over here, you know, I like cheese, and it comes out the other side like, my name's Superman. And you're like, I don't know how we got from here to here, but hey, it's fun. But we believe that, that what Christ gave to Paul, Paul received. And what Paul received, he gave to Epaphras, who he received that and cared for it. It was an important oral tradition. You know, we bought a house pretty recently last year, and... Uh, it's a fun process, and by that I mean it's not fun. Um, but I'm thankful for the house. And one of the things you do is they give you a stack of, of uh, papers that you're just supposed to sign. And you can read them, but I can assure you that probably 80% of, I'm being generous, but 80% of us, we read and we're like, I think, I don't, okay. You know, I trust my realtor. Um, I went with our first house that we bought. I, I tried to read everyone, and about like a third of the way through, I was just like, come what may. <laughs> but, but one of the things that happened in that moment is there was, there was my realtor, there was, there was me and my wife, and then there was a, a notary. And that notary was there to confirm that I was who I said I was, that my wife was who she said she was. And so as we received this message, that, that it could be confirmed, the 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 seriousness, the realness of what we were receiving, that we were really receiving what was, what was said and, and agreed upon by the seller. Their, their signatures had been notarized, and there was this official process by which it went from this person to us. 
And that's what's happening here. When Paul says, uh, you received, as you received Jesus Christ, he's not just saying, you know, as you just kind of casually caught him. But there was a reception of a testimony, a very clear articulation of, of who Jesus was, this, this Jewish man who was from the line of David, that he lived this perfect, holy life, a, lot, a life of obedience to the law and a life of obedience to God the Father, that he, he was accused of, of being a criminal, of being uh, a usurper, and that he was wrongly murdered, wrongly executed, just like he had prophesied that he would, and just like the scriptures had prophesied that he would. And then three days later, he rose again from the dead, defeating Satan, sin, the grave, and vindicating himself. Right? If he had been guilty, he would have stayed dead. But the fact that he was not guilty proves that he was telling the truth, that he was the Son of God. It was a vindicating moment, and that is the testimony, or that's part of the testimony that Paul is saying that they had received. When you go to church, you're not just going, church to, going to church to do stuff. My hope is that you're going to church to receive a testimony that is intended to do things in your life. To receive a message about Jesus Christ that's going to produce something in your life. This is what's unique about Christianity. We, we are a historical faith. There are re- realities of what has happened, and if those things didn't happen, then, then we ought to just party and just live life how we want to. That, that, those aren't my words. That's a paraphrase of Paul. Because so much of our lives is not just do this, don't do that, but it is what has God done. And so he says, you have received a tradition. You have received something from Epaphras. But what they received was more than a tradition. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus. You see, they didn't just receive a letter. They didn't just receive some words. They didn't just receive, you know, this concept, this teaching. This, was, this wasn't Christianity for dummies that they just kind of read through and like, oh, this is interesting. Okay. No, they received in receiving the testimony a person because Jesus is alive. And whenever we receive his testimony, we receive him. And, and the Bible talks about it. Jesus talks about it. If you receive me, you receive what? The one who sent me, the Father. There's this unity in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So as the Holy Spirit is ministering truth, as we read the gospel, we receive the truth and the word of, of the Holy Spirit. We therefore then receive Jesus himself as our Lord and Savior. And in receiving Jesus, we receive God the Father. And we are brought into this united relationship with God himself. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he says, you received Jesus Christ. Now, in my Bible, it says, therefore, as you received Jesus Christ, the Lord. And in the, in the original language, it's, it's what we'd call, it's, uh, it's a word in apposition. So our grammar nerds are going to love this. Um, Jesus Christ, comma, the Lord. And in some of your Bibles, it says, Jesus Christ, as Lord, because the translators are trying to draw out the implication that Paul is not just saying, you receive Jesus Christ, and uh, he, you know he's, he's the Lord. But he's saying, no, you received him as Lord. Now, that's a word that we use, and if you've been in church for any length of time, oh, Lord. Or maybe your parents used it in ways that they shouldn't have. 
or you've used it in ways you shouldn't have. And it could lose meaning, but it, it means master. You received Jesus Christ, Jesus the chosen Messiah, Jesus the one who was anointed to be the king as what? Lord, as master, as the one who's in charge, as supreme, as sovereign. The Colossians had received him not just as this cool guy, not just as this wise counselor, not just as this interesting philosopher, not just as this hippie dude who carried uh, uh, sheep on his shoulders like we see in, in, in some art, You received him as Lord, as ruler, as king, as supreme, as sovereign. I I pause there because some of you, you you come to church and if I were to ask, you know, do you believe in Jesus Christ? You'd say, yeah, you know, I'm glad he saved me. But if I were to ask, is he in charge and control of your life? You might hesitate. Or you might say yes, but in your mind you're saying, except for this one thing. And for us to receive Christ must be for us to receive him as Lord, as master. If you don't receive him as master of all, you receive him as master of nothing. If there's an area of your life that you're saying, you know, Jesus, you can, you can have my Sundays, you can have my, I'll even give, give you Wednesday nights. And, you know, some of you are guests and, and we don't have a Sunday night service, but you have a Sunday night service. And you're like, I, I'm at church on Sunday night, Sunday morning, afternoon, we're having our potluck. Wednesday, Tuesday, there's prayer night. We have our prayer night on Fridays. But you can have those things, God. But Monday, that's mine. Friday, that's mine. Thursday, that's mine. My career, that's mine. My relationship, that's mine. The way I raise my kids, that's mine. He says, no, you received him as Lord. You received him as Lord. As you received him as Lord, so walk in him. I, I love, I love this, the way that the translators tried to keep uh, the, the sense of what was being said. In the Greek, it is to, to walk about, right? So walk in him. And in some of your translations, it's going to say, live your life in him. And that's good because that's the point. But, but if we hear just live your life in him, it kind of it sounds like it could be almost passive. But, but Paul is saying, walk out your life in Christ. Walk out every step of your life in Christ. In the same way that you received him as Lord, walk out your life as though he is your Lord. You're not living your life as your own. You live your life not as, as if, uh, th- this is how I would understand it, living your life in Christ. Um, sometimes we, we would say, you know, what would Jesus do if you were in my position, right? We used to have those, those wristbands. What would Jesus do, WWJD? And, and that can be helpful, but it can be kind of confusing because sometimes you begin to try to think of, you know, if, if Jesus was, you know, he's a 2,000-year-old Jewish man, in a robe, what would he do in my situation? Well, I don't know. That would be kind of a weird Encino man type situation. Um, no, but, but that's, not, that's not what Paul's trying to get at. What he's trying to get at is if, if Jesus were living life in your circumstances and situation, how would his character and nature be manifested, be expressed in your situation? If Jesus was in exactly the situation and circumstances that you find yourself in, how would he live his life? That's what it means to walk 
in him. It's the kind of obedience that results not only in our conscious decision to follow him, but in an appropriation of his, of his nature and character. Um, you know, my wife and I, we've been married for, it'll be 16 years in, in July. And when we first got married, you know, I liked her a lot. That's why we got married. I thought she was very pretty. We hung out a lot. Um, I wanted to kiss her. These are, these are true things of being married, right? Um, but we were, we were two people. And, and I'm not the most perfect person in the world. You can ask a lot of people. Um, I'm not the best husband. But, but because of 16 years of walking together, there's some things that we just we do together and the same. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we weirdly begin quoting the same things. Or I will quote something and I'll beat her to it. She'll quote something, I'm like, that's what I was thinking. We'll look at someone or something or a situation, and we'll just kind of give each other the look, and we'll know exactly what we're saying. Because there's been a consistency of, of, of 16 years of investing in life. And it's, it's an imperfect example because we're imperfect people, and, but, but when you are walking in Christ, you're not just trying to uh, consciously white-knuckle, okay, I'm going to obey God. You know, that's good. I'm thankful for it. You know, if there are areas of your life where you're, you're, having to, you're trying to hold on tight and you're trying to obey God, that's good. You know, it's kind of like that toddling baby, you know, like, are they going to make the next step? Yeah, they did it, right? That's good. That's, I'm thankful for that. But this process of walking life becomes the sort of thing where not only are you walking, but it seems like you're taking the strides that Christ would take. You're, you're walking with the same kind of character and nature, and you're thinking the same kind of thoughts that Jesus would think. Because you're so familiar with who he is. You've, done, you've not just said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to the rules and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to guard the guardrails. But you begin to, to be taken up and swept up in the momentum that is Christ in your life. This is what it means to walk in him. Right? This is where forgiveness goes from being words on a page and, you know, I need to forgive this person. Okay, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to pray about it. And I'm going to work towards forgiving to them too. To all of a sudden, forgiveness is just something that flows out of you. That even though you get hurt, you, you just say, God, I forgive them. That there's, there's, a, there's a knee-jerk reaction to, to free people from the obligation to make things right. Because, because you've been walking in him. It's like patience. It's, it's this concept that you, like, you need to be patient. And, and your idea of patience is, is not flipping out, right? I'm being patient. But everything inside of you is screaming, impatience! And you're just trying to push it way down, right? To all of a sudden, you have an attitude of, of ease, of flexibility, of an open-handedness, of recognizing I'm not in control. Patience is no longer something that you're, you're almost like in a wrestling match with, but it's become who you are. And, and if you're married... And you want to know, how well am I doing in these areas? Just ask your spouse, and they will tell you. Maybe do it after lunch, not before lunch. Pro tip. Um, humility stops becoming this thing of, I need to be humble. I need to be focused on others. I need to not think about myself. Don't think about yourself, Eddie. Eddie, stop thinking about yourself. To all of a sudden, forgetting about yourself and serving others. Forgetting about your needs and serving others. 
forgetting about your desires and pursuing the desires of others. This is, this is what walking out the life of Christ looks like. And so he says, you know, if, if you have received Christ as the Lord, as the one who's in charge, as the one who rules and reigns, if you've really received him as Lord, then walk this out. And he goes on and he says in verse 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. You see, when we, when we receive this gospel, God does something, right? He, he says in verse 6, do these things just as you've received Christ, walk in, him, in them, right? It's a, it's a command. It's an active thing. You are the, doing the walking. You are doing the obeying. You are doing the pursuing the character and nature of God. You are doing the embracing of God. And he says this, but here's what's happening to you as you receive the gospel. You're being rooted and you're being built up in him. He uses these two separate uh, metaphors of being rooted in Christ and, and established on him. You see, part of walking in Christ, part of, of receiving the gospel is, is allowing yourself to be rooted in who he is. Not who you want to be. And all of a sudden, your life is anchored in what he has said about you. Your, your actions are anchored in what he has called you to do. Your, your life is anchored, it is it is drawn down deeply into Christ. This is why, this is why forgiveness can happen. Because if we believe that, that I'm rooted in the forgiveness of God that was established in Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden, fruit of forgiveness can come. If I'm rooted in the infinite patience of a God who recognizes that I am a sinner deserving the wrath of God, and yet he has established love and peace and kindness and, and reconciliation with me, then all of a sudden, all of the, the impatience of life and, and, and the, the cloying that causes impatience, the trying to control that causes impatience, begins to go away because I'm rooted in a firm foundation to mix metaphors. We're rooted in him like a plant. Not only that, we're built up like a foundation. God is building something in your life. God is building something in your life. If you're discouraged today, but you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord, let me tell you, family, God is building something in your life. Sometimes you can't. If you've ever watched a building project, it's, it's interesting. Because it's, it's a lot of times it's like, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? Oh, there's a building. It's really weird. Like, if, I remember just going down 28 and so many things are getting built and you're like, that's weird. What's that? What's that? What's that? Oh, it's a building. And, and that's what life can be like sometimes is you look at your life and you're struggling with, with finances and you've got kids that you're, that you're you know, they're, you obey, do the things, don't do the other things. And, and you've got your career and you've got these relationships that are messed up and you've got these areas of sin that you're dealing with and you're, and you're just kind of in a wash and you're asking God, what are you doing? And day passes, day passes, day passes, day passes. And every day you're like, God, what are you doing? But then five years later you look back and you say, oh, he built something. If you, if you don't believe me, ask anyone in this room who's been walking with the Lord for longer than, than 10 years, longer than 15 years, longer than 20. This is, why, this is why the Bible tells older people to disciple younger people. Older men, find a younger man and tell him something today. Older women, find a younger woman and tell her something. And then younger men and women, listen. 
we need to talk to our, our youth. Listen! <laughs> We're being established. God's built a foundation in Christ and he's building something in your life. This is why Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I'm, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You know, God, God is not the Toll Brothers. He's not going to just skip out because COVID came and he can't finish his project. Not that the Toll Brothers did that. I just, this first builder I could think of. I don't know, Ryan Brothers, whatever, I don't know. God is at work. And then he says, to kind of summarize, he says, you're being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith just as you were taught. You see, family, being established in the faith is more than just being able to rattle off, yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, being able to be established in the faith is is being able to look at your life and have other people look at your life and for them to see, you know what? I think that God is at work in your life. I remember when you used to be, you know, a rascal, and, and a terrible, you did bad things and now, now you're doing less bad things. And, and you used to be really selfish and focused and afraid of, of losing money and now you're giving things away and you're, you're being generous and kind and, and, and you begin to look and you see that, you know what, God has established something as a result of this faith. He's establishing us, strengthening us, stabilizing us as we trust and obey him. And, and family, let me encourage you that this is a long-term process. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful for the testimonies that are, you know, you know, I was, I was doing cocaine and I was living on the streets and things were terrible and I was making all kinds of bad decisions and boom, God saved me and now I'm, you know, preaching and ministering and people are getting saved. Every, like, I'm thankful for that. That's not most of our testimony. Most of our testimonies were... I had a, you know, my parents were trying to figure it out. They weren't the best of parents, and, or my dad wasn't around, and, and, you know, I tried to do my best, and, you know, I did some bad things, and I did some good things, and, and, and you can look at your life, and it just kind of looks like gray mush, and it's not like light and dark. It's just like, eh, I don't know, but family, if you are in Christ, if you are walking in Christ, understand that God is about the long game. He's about the long game. He's fine to let you just be in the dark for weeks, months, years sometimes so that he can bring life and light. He can bring transition and and transformation. So if you're in that moment of darkness and you're saying, God, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death and I, where are you? We, We don't trust in what our circumstances tell us. We don't trust in what our senses tell us. We trust in what God has told us. And if you are in Christ, then God is establishing you, he's rooting you, he's, he's building you up in the faith that you received just as you were taught. And then he goes on and he says this, abounding in thanksgiving, right? He says, just as you received Christ, so walk in him, being rooted and, and grounded and, 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 bound, uh, and, and established. And then he says this, abounding in thanksgiving, now, why do you think that he doesn't say anything about any other possible virtue, right? Being Abounding in truthfulness, abounding in love, abounding in patience, abounding in forgiveness, abounding in, in uh, generosity. Why is it that he focuses in on thankfulness? 
Thanksgiving. Why is it that he so often focuses on thankfulness? Right? He talks about giving thanks to the Father in chapter 1. Why is it that he focuses in there? Life after salvation can be adequately defined by that one word, thankfulness, gratefulness. Life after salvation should be one long expression of gratitude. And this is not, this is not the worldly gratitude of, of mindfulness and just let's be grateful to the universe of just I'm happy that I have you know, shoes on my feet and a, you know, a meal in my stomach. But, but when the Bible talks about thankfulness, it's talking about someone who's giving thanks to someone who's then receiving thanks. He's saying abounding in thankfulness toward God because it is God who is rooting and building up and establishing. It is God who brings us from death in our transgressions and sin to being alive not because of our own works, but because of what Christ has done through us, or done in us through faith. We have been saved by no work of our own, and we deserve nothing. I mean, you know, horizontally, some of you deserve things, some of you don't. Like, we can look at one another and relate to one another, but as it relates to God, we can't go to God and say, God, you owe me. God, you owe me because I, you know, I, I wasn't a jerk. Because I, 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 I wanted to cuss at that person, but I didn't. I gave money at church. I, I went to church. Like, whatever your thing is, there's nothing that obligates God to us. We owe him, or he owes us nothing. So every day that we live today, every day that we live having been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ, by the blood and broken body of the Son of God instead of my blood and broken body and eternal condemnation. Every day that I live in that reality is a day of thanking God. Every day is a day of saying, God, I thank you that you've given me breath and that I'm alive. God, I thank you that I have another opportunity to express my gratitude. God, I thank you that there's another opportunity for me to give a testimony. God, I thank you that there's another opportunity for me to do better than I did the day before. Every day is an opportunity. And so he says that we are abounding in thanksgiving. As you grow in your appreciation for what Jesus Christ has done, you grow in a thanksgiving. And if there's no thanksgiving in your soul, perhaps it's because you you haven't thought deeply about what God has done for you, or you've grown cold to what he's done for you, or you've thought lightly about what God has done for you. And I imagine some of you might be in difficult circumstances and situations where, where you say, but God, wh what about this? Maybe you're in the middle of pain. Maybe you're in the middle of real suffering. Maybe you're in the middle of, of, of something that you wouldn't even dare speak about. And, and part of what rises up in your soul is a sense of like, I don't have anything to give thanks to. My life isn't easy. I would say to you that you have a God who can relate in Jesus Christ, that you have a God who've exp who's experienced suffering, who has experienced um, rejection, who has experienced condemnation, who has experienced so many things that you may be experiencing right now. Relational rifts, 
hurt, real terrible things. And it's that God who walks with you. It's that God who offers eternal life to you. And it's that God who, who gives you new life, who offers new life to you. And, and you do have reason to be thankful. Because he's with you even in the midst of your, your trouble and your pain and your toil. He says that we're abounding in thanksgiving. I, I like to go to the, the Outer Banks. My, my family goes fairly often. It's a, it's a blessing. There are people who take us. It's, it, I have had the privilege of, of being able to go. And uh, one of the things that we started doing was kayaking. I don't do ocean kayaking. The ocean is, is the, you know, it's, it's the monster's homes. <laughs> All the scary things live in the ocean. And if you don't believe me, just, you haven't been on the internet enough. I don't know. There's some, it's, it's terrible in there. But the sound is quite nice. Sound, you can stand in the sound, it's like four feet. On a, on a you know, rainy day, it might be five feet. So the sound is great. You know, there are fish in the sound, but for the most part, you can kind of handle it. And so I like to kayak in the sound. Um... And the most fun is when you're in the sound and there, there, is, there is a stream, right? There's, there's a flow and you're in, in the middle of the flow and you're, you're, you're with it. And you're not fighting against the waves, but you're kind of in concert with the waves and you are just going fast. There, there's, a, there's a sense of just movement, of momentum, of peace, of tranquility. I love it. Um, we were meant to live our lives like that. When you receive Christ as Lord, and then you begin to walk in him, there's a stream that God invites you into, where you're paddling with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're paddling with the power of God at work in your life. You're making progress as God is faithfully moving you along. We were meant to live our lives in him, to be carried along by the power of his life, and to allow our path and our journey to be determined and shaped and directed by him. So much of, of the, the friction that you feel in your soul is probably because you're trying to paddle upstream. You're hitting the waves. And God is saying, would you just turn around? Would you just turn around? That, that, that's what repentance is. Would you just turn around and agree with God? Would you just turn around Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your unwillingness to let him lead. Turn away from your, your desire to be in control of your life and turn to Jesus. Submit your life to him. Re recognize that you're a sinner, that you've been going in the wrong way. And would you just start paddling with him? If you've received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you've gotten into the water, then would you join me and start paddling? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we have this testimony, that Paul was faithful to give us his testimony. God, I thank you that you've been faithful to establish us, to root us in the faith, to, to build a, a, a firm foundation in Christ and then to build our lives on top of that. And God, I pray that, that we would be able today to walk in Christ, that we'd be able to live our lives in him, not just to to white-knuckle obey and try to keep within the bounds, but that there'd be an agreement, there'd be an appropriation, there'd be a, a, a walking in step with you, God. 
that, that like the kayaker on the creek, Lord, or in the sound, Lord, that we'd be able to walk or we'd be able to, to paddle with you. If, you've, if you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, not just only as your Savior, but as Lord, I want to give you an opportunity today. If that's you, you want to trust in him as your Lord to be in charge of your life, to call the shots, to shape your future, to shape your life and purpose and destiny. If you, if you want to say no to sin and say yes to God, to say no to disobeying God and say yes to obeying him and asking him what he wants you to do, would you just raise your hand? It's great. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down. There's nothing magical in raising your hand. It's just a way of expressing to God that, that you recognize that he's doing something in your soul. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down and you can pray this with me. God, I, I, I turn away from everything I know to be sin. I turn away from my own, I let go of my own desire to run my life. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of salvation and I turn to you, Jesus, and I receive your salvation and I receive your lordship. God, take charge of my life and help me to walk in you. In Jesus' name I pray. If you prayed that prayer, please let us know. We want, we want to walk this out with you. We'd love to talk to you and, and help you take those next steps to say, what, what does this look like for me practically to walk in him? Love you, family. So glad to be with you.